0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 18, 38b through chapter 19, verse 16. It can be found on page 905 of your pew bibles. Before we go there, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your inspired and errant word, I pray that you let it reach our hearts as only you can. Be with us this day and forevermore. In your heavenly name we pray, amen. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, king of the Jews. We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, "'Where are you from?' But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, "'You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you?' Jesus answered him, "'You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above.'" Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The word of God for the people of God.
1: In the fall, we have our church family camp at Nakomi. And uh, one of the things I really enjoy about Nakomi is uh, the, um, the, the, the pond or lake where we go and, and canoe or kayak and things. And um, it was a few years ago, I kind of went on the, the backside, um, you know, away from the leeches oh, the are not here I got on the backside, uh, back kind of under some trees. And the water was still, and it's really shallow. And, and what I loved about it was it was beautiful to look at the water because um, the, the water was reflecting the leaves that are in the tree. And there's leaves floating on top of the water. And then even underneath that, there's kind of leaves that have sunk down underneath it. And so between this, the reflection and the surface and, and the bottom of the water, it's kind of like you just see this glory of colors and depending on where you focus you see different things. And I, I was thinking about one of the things about John's gospel is almost every single phrase depending on where you focus almost has a different meaning. There's different things that are that are surfacing and, and that are that have ironic meaning um, that you'll say. Um, for example when he's there calling him the king of the Jews, in a way that's the condemnation against him. That's why he's killed. But in another surface thing, I mean, that's that's the truth. That is who he is. And so as they talk about these things, we see different levels and different layers of meaning. And I I want us to to look at this, Jesus's trial before Pilate, and, and just pick out some of those meanings. And and as I was reading this, reflecting on this, it stood out to me that Jesus is revealed to us in three different ways. And we also see three different responses to this Jesus. Here's one of those layers. Here's one of the ironies. This is Jesus' own trial. But the irony is that the condemnation is who rejects him. So he is actually the one trying them. Their response to him in this trial is actually their judgment. It's actually a trial of, of them. And so we start with the idea that here is a man who is being tried. Um, he's, he's being tested. Pilate shows him and says, behold the man. And Jesus very much is the man. Now, On one level, what Pilate is saying, here is the man who had these charges, um, you know, what are we going to do here? I, I don't see anything guilty about him. Here is the man. But in another way, do you see, Jesus is the man. He is the new man who comes to stand before us very much like the old man. He is the new Adam who is replacing the old Adam. The, the first Adam came to a trial to a tree. And he fell. And here is the new Adam, the new man, coming before a trial. But the true trial is, is he going to be faithful to the Father when he goes to the tree, when he goes to the cross? And and we almost see this sense of where Jesus' life is replaying the temptation of Adam. He is now the new man. And isn't it appropriate that the curse of the old Adam that was shown in the thorns that came up from the earth. Those crown of thorns is now placed on his head as he takes that curse for us. I don't know if you noticed, but the questions Pilate asked Jesus very much echo the questions God asked Adam in the garden. Adam was asked, where are you? Because he was hiding in his shame. And Pilate comes in and says, where are you from? Adam was asked, what did you do? And Jesus is asked, you know, they, they've, caught, they've charged you, they've brought you guilty, what have you done that they want to kill you? And we hear these echoes of, and see him clothed in mockery, almost as a reversal of the way Adam was clothed in mercy and compassion. Jesus very much is human, and a human who represents all of us in the way the first Adam did as he was tested at the tree. But where the first Adam desired to be as God and failed in God's command, the new Adam is God who becomes man and passes the test as he goes to the tree and gives up his life rather than trying to secure it. He is the man. Behold, the man. But not only is he just a man, the accusation is he is making himself to be a king. He, he is one who is um, going to be charged for treason because anyone who makes himself a king is not a, you know, a friend of Caesar. He's a rebellion. So this is what the charge is going to be against him in the state court, the, the civil court. But he really is the king. Because God made a promise to David that he would have a descendant who would sit on the throne and would reign forever. It it was one of the earliest promises at the end of Genesis. We hear that a lion of the tribe of Judah, the scepter, would not depart from his hand. And so this man who is clothed in mockery truly is the king. And and almost what they say about him is, is prophetic, though they mean something very different. Um, when the, the temple guards and the priests are, are crying out that we have a law, and, and according to that law, anyone who makes himself son of God ought to be killed, that, or you know, be cursed, that, that one who does these things should die, and very much that is the law, that is the punishment. Blasphemy should be accursed. But there's another sense in which the law is prophesying that the, the king is ultimately going to come to conquer the enemies by himself being put to death and dying. So an amazing irony, the law is not just saying it's condemning those who would make themselves king, but the law is saying the one who is your king, the one who is the son of God, is going to die for you. Because the prophecy, the law, is fulfilled in Jesus, who himself is, this is the third way Jesus is revealed, he is a man. He is a man who is a king, but he also has made himself the son of God. This is why the religious court has accused him. This is why uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and those who, the Sadducees that have come together to charge him is because he, in their eyes, has committed blasphemy. He has said he is the son of God, which is making himself equal with God. And so if you ever have anyone who says, you know, did Jesus ever really claim to be God That's the reason he was crucified, was because they understood he was claiming to be himself equal with God, that he himself was God. And this is why Jesus as the man, the new Adam, this is why Jesus as the king can go to the cross and win for us a victory. This is why he can pass the test when everyone else failed. This is why he can suffer on our behalf and reconcile us to God because the one who stands here being condemned is nothing less than God himself. So with the truth of this, of the the, the new man, of the the king of the Jews, of God himself in flesh, we see some different responses. First, first, we see the priest and the temple guards, which itself is an interesting um, echo of Genesis and the garden because the first man was put in to be uh, one who would tend and keep, who would serve and guard, who would be as a priest and and one who would, like a king, guard the garden. And here we see those who are to be the priests and the guards, those who are to preserve what God has done, are actually rebelling against God himself. What we see in the priest and the guards are those who call out crucify him. And, and possibly <laughs> amazing blasphemy for those who should see God as their king. Uh, the, they cry out we have no king but Caesar. They themselves not only rebel against Jesus and calling for him to be crucified, they rebel against God who is to be their king by saying, we have no king except for Caesar. Other than worldly powers, earthly powers, this is our king. And very much the priests and the guards are like all of us in our hearts. We are rebels against God. We... See one who makes a claim to, to, to have authority and power over us. And we want to be in that place. We want to be Lord of our own life. Uh, th- this is the thing. is you know, we, It's easy for us to look at the thing God's commands and the things that we like and we enjoy and we agree with. We want to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I follow that. I'm, I submit to that. See, I'm, I'm a good person. But each one of us has areas in our life where we don't want to yield, where we don't want to say, God is God even over this part of my heart. There are parts in each of us where what our first temptation is is to twist the scriptures away from what it states so that we can kind of say, yeah, we're still good. E- each one of us has areas in our life where we say, well, that, that's really not that bad because all of us at some place in our life are, are rebelling against God. We want to be the one who decides right and wrong. We want to have knowledge of good and evil. And so what we do is we, we kind of agree with the things we agree with, but there's areas in our heart that we cry out, crucify him, crucify him. The priests and the guards rebel against God. Pilate, knows the truth in one sense, yet seems almost powerless to not obey it. Do you see how Pilate repeatedly says, I see nothing guilty about him. I see nothing deserving death. I, I, and, and he tries to persuade them. There's no reason to crucify him. He comes out and, and says, look, you know, I've beaten him. Maybe that'll satisfy you. And he's trying to, in some way, avoid it, but he's in complete bondage. He has to do what the mob cries out for. There's a sense in which he mentally knows the truth. He, he fears when he hears that, God, that Jesus has made some sort of claim to be a son of God. He has great fear at that point. He looks at him and he knows that he's not done anything wrong. And yet, his fear of what others would think his fear of losing his position, his fear of causing trouble and how his reputation would be marred, all lead him to crucify a man he knows to be innocent. Could it be that there's some of us who kind of see the claims of Jesus and know that they're true, but when we see the way that would cause us to live in a way that doesn't fit in with others, when we see the way that might cause tension with um, coworkers or neighbors or family, in those areas, we might be tempted to go along with others rather than do what we know to be right. I, it's particularly heated at this moment. As I've seen so many people um, you know, just on social media losing their positions Not even for saying something wrong, but having the the slightest critique of someone, or not even saying anything wrong, but not saying the right thing according to the crowd with enough passion. People are losing their jobs because they're not speaking and saying what people think they ought to say. And it just makes me think, I mean, and, and this is ongoing. This is, you know, we, whatever outrage of the season is, somebody's going to be canceled because they say, I mean, don't, don't support things loudly enough. And I just think of the way Pilate was stuck and controlled, not by his principle and the truth, but he had to bow to the pressure of others. Finally, There's Barabbas. I don't in any way want to say Barabbas had faith or trusted or anything like that. But Barabbas pictures for us those who do have faith. For he came into his own, and his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become the sons of God. And that is very much what Barabbas looks like for us. Do you see him? His name literally means son of the father. He has been made by name a son of the father. And he very literally goes free from his just punishment because Jesus goes in his place. He is freed and Jesus is crucified. Barabbas pictures us, those who would trust in Jesus and believe in him, for because of this Passover, because this lamb was slain. We are granted amnesty because he goes to the cross in our place. We are freed and we are made sons of the Father for all who trust in him, for all who believe in his name, for all who receive him. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine be honor and glory and power now and evermore.